Hey, welcome to the Adventures in Advising podcast. I'm Matt Markin, and we are at episode 63. Guests today are Dr. Charlie Nutt, recently retired from Nakata, and also Farrah Turner and Dana McNary from the Nakata Executive Office. Subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media at Advising Podcast. Now, here we go with episode 63. back to the Adventures of Advising podcast. We recently hit over 27,000 downloads of this podcast. That is super exciting news. So thank you as always for listening to these interviews. And I hope you continue to gain something from these podcast episodes. This is a special episode today. Our first guest was on a phased retirement since last year and just recently retired at the end of June. I'm happy to have him back on the podcast. And that is with Dr. Charlie Nutt. It's been most definitely a hot minute since Dr. Charlie Nutt has been on the podcast. Charlie, welcome back to the Adventures in Advising podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. It's always a joy to to talk with you and to be a part of this, but it's also a great opportunity um, just to really say thank you to to everyone in Nakata and thank you to everyone in the profession for all their support, love, and connection over the past 22 years. Yeah, and you've been busy. I mean, I, I've seen on social media that you're at Utah Valley University uh, this week. There's an advising community retreat going on. What's What's been new? You know, they were looking at hiring a senior director last fall, and they had some things fall through. So they asked me if I would come in and just serve as an interim. And so I've been back and forth to Utah since September. Um, but part of that process has been that they're the first school who've gone through EAA as a, as a total Nakata um, activity. And they've done a year-long approach. So this is the first institution that's done EAA in one year. Um, and they have been amazing. We've had um, nine committees who've been working so hard since November. Um, they now have a new senior director. He's ready to take it and move the implementation forward. But Friday, we had about 120 or so um, advisors from across the community, um, folks from, from admissions, from registrar, from financial aid. Anyone who was interested in advising came to really hear the reports from all nine committees, as well as their recommendations for moving forward. And so it was a great day. So we're in the process of putting those recommendations together. Um, they spent a, uh, about the last 30 minutes of a long day, nine to four Friday, um, prioritizing those recommendations. And so we're kind of putting all of that together. The steering committee will meet this week to look at all of that. And then we're ready to turn it over to the city director and the vice provost to, to begin looking at the implementation process. So um, it's been a busy year, but I've loved doing every bit of it. I, I think it made facing into retirement a little, uh, I might have been bored, um, had it not been the case. Um, yeah. I've also had a lot of, you know, been very lucky to to work so closely with Melinda in her first year. You know, I, I promised her when I when she tapped the job, the first thing I said to her was, you will, I will never call you, you call me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not here to look over your shoulders. I'm not here to tell you what I think you should do. If you need me, I will always be here. And so it's been awesome for her to call me and for me to, 
to, to help walk through some things with her, that type of thing. But I tell you, Matt, I'm so proud of her. Um, kind of brings tears to my eyes because she is doing such a phenomenal job in her first year. And it's a big job. You know, even though she'd been on the council, she'd been on the board. Um, I don't think she realized how big a job it is until you actually <laughs> walk in the first day. Um, but she is amazing. And I'm so proud of her. Um, I know the association is going to do amazing things during her, I hope, two decades or more in the executive office. Um and, and after I'm long gone, I know the association will still be moving forward because of the work she's done. But um, she's amazing. So it's been great working with her when she's needed me this year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting my house ready to sell in Kansas and moving back home to Georgia. And so um, kind of dealing with that this year, getting things done that needed to be done. You know, um, it's a house built in 1977. And so it's not a new house by any stretch of the imagination. So there were some things I needed to get done just to, to get it on the market. So it's on the market. We're having showings and that type of thing. And so um, if the recession or whatever we call it will hold off just a little bit, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get it sold before the situation. You know, I'm one of the lucky people. You know, I have a house in Georgia, so I'm not having to buy. I'm not having to do all of that. So I just try to remain calm um, right, right. And, and know that, you know, I've got two houses I pay for. I can survive um, with those pieces and, and kind of move forward. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the lucky people, but I, but I know it will happen at some point. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed on the sale and seamless transition in, uh, into retirement. But you were mentioning with, with uh, Utah Valley University, you were mentioning EAA. Uh-huh. What, is, yeah. what is that? <laughs> um, it, it's an excellent academic advising program mm-hmm. that the Dog Gardener Institute in Nakata started. Well, we started, I think, working on planning it probably seven years ago, possibly. Um, we had an amazing group of folks. Um, Susan Campbell, Kathy Stockwell, Jane Drake, Nancy King, Wendy Troxell, um, all of them were involved with initial putting together the process. I, I'm sure you know about the John Gardner's excellence in first year experience, and it, it's really an evidence-based um, evaluation. An institution takes what we call our nine conditions of excellence for academic advising, and all of this is on the Nakata website under programs. Um, but there's certain um, what we call KPIs, performance indicators that will say, you know, how how um, how well are you really putting together how you select advisors? Mm-hmm. What does professional development look like? Um, what's the opportunity to assess advising? All of those conditions. And so... Um, Last year, the, the John Gardner Institute decided that they, they had a lot of their plate. And so um, it's, now, it's now a total Nakata project. And um, we've worked the past year to put together kind of a plan for how Nakata will move this forward. Melinda now has it on her desk. Um, as Susie Campbell said, we got it off of our desk. We put it on <laughs> Melinda's desk um, to, to move forward because it's a great opportunity for the future. You know, uh, Melinda and I were talking recently, and it's it, Nakata is in an interesting situation, just like all schools. Um, you know, we've just gone through the pandemic. 
We now are facing what could be some financial issues uh, from a national level. Higher education is going to need to change. And within that, the continent is going to need to change and look at things differently. And I think that's why Melinda is just the the person to move us forward because she's looking at those things. She's thinking through how we do that. You know, do we, there's just all sorts of things she's looking at. Um, But I think it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. So part of that we hope will be the EAA process for schools. Uh, We we put together a a plan where it could be a, what we call EAA light, (laughs) what we call full EAA. Um, The other piece of that, Matt, that I know will be coming out this year, which I'm very excited about, is Wendy Troxel with the Research Center has been working on an advising survey for campuses. Um, Right now, there's not a lot of uh, surveys that really look at advising. And quite frankly, they're not Nakata um, surveys, and and they should be. Um, So she has done an amazing job. She and Gary Cunningham in the EO um, have put it together. They've used, I don't know, DBI, whatever that statistical thing is she keeps telling me about. Um, But it is going to be just a great process. And I think institutions that even if they have no desire to do EAA, will be able to to buy the survey, implement it, we'll, we'll process the data, we'll give it back to them. So they can get a real view about how advising is seen from students, from faculty, from primary role advisors, for administrators. Because I think you and I know everybody sees it different. But we didn't really ask folks. And I think the survey is going to be amazing. So I hope all the all of your listeners will will just keep watching the Dakota website and looking for that survey because I think it will be a huge, huge benefit to higher education and to our Dakota members. Um, obviously Dakota members will I hope get a discount in, yeah. in this survey. And so um I just think it'll be a great process. Um, you know, it's a type of product, Matt, that you could do for your area, or you could say, let's do it for the whole campus. Um, so it's going to be really windy. Wendy and Gary have done a phenomenal job with it. Um, I have to say again, Susan Campbell, Kathy Stockwell has guided, guided, have guided us through this process. Um, I don't know how many people know this, but they should if they don't. Wendy and Wendy, Susan and Kathy are just amazing people who've done so much for higher education academic advising and so i can't say enough about those three ladies and all they've done the list goes on in terms of like we could be on here for hours and days talking about people who've had such an impact on advising or on you um and you know you were talking about just nakata needed to move forward with with things and this is you've already named a few different ways that they're already doing that yes and i and i think we'll see more come up Mm -hmm. you know i think there'll be ways that the um the consultants bureau connect can connect with things like the summer institute curriculum. You know, a, a, a school like yours, Matt, that that may want to do a total relook at advising, but quite frankly, you can't afford in this day and time to send a team of twelve to a week long summer institute. Mm-hmm. So maybe we look at ways to bring institutes to institutions yeah. in those ways. And I know Melinda's looking at all of that. And it's going to be a it's going to be a fantastic future as we move forward. You know, I'm going to hopefully in a year 
be sitting on the beach with a cigarette, looking at what Melinda's doing and saying, good girl, I'm going to go back to the water. Um, Because I know it's going to be a great future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've mentioned Melinda and Melinda now almost at the time of this podcast recording about a year now as executive director. And I think a lot of people were confused in terms of like, um, because I think some people thought you had already retired. Um, and then you're in a phased retirement. (laughs) Kansas State has a very unique process. I don't know how many other places have it, but you can do what's called a phased retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, um, when I told Dean Mercer that it was kind of time for me to move on and do a search, um, I had planned to just fully retire. And the dean said, you know, would you stay on 50% for a year just to give Melinda any support she needs? And so that's what I've been doing this past year. But um, as of this past Sunday, I'm officially retired. So um, now I'm totally retired from, from K-State and from Nakata. I don't think I'll ever be totally re- retired from advising um, or higher education. Um, I just won't get paid for it. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> no. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of people still contacting Charlie. What do we do in this situation? What do we do and for this? I hope they will. And I would love to work with folks. Yeah, especially with uh, UVU. I mean, you're uh, you're pretty much uh, getting a whole bunch of mi- uh, flying miles doing this. So. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> and how are your cats? Oh, the cats are wonderful. You know, they. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of people saw on Facebook last week that that um, uh, Manhattan had a pretty significant storm come through, and it was not. They, I think they determined it really wasn't a tornado, but it was a wind surge that came through. Um, but the cats ran to the basement. Then they got totally petrified. So I had to put them in their little house. I'm going to drive them to Kansas in, I mean, to Georgia in at some point. They were not happy. Um, so it shows that I've got to put that in the back of my car and put them in the back of it and start riding them around. Oh, yeah. I have to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, you know, let's talk about more about Nakata because you've been a Nakata member since 91. You know, you uh, were appointed executive director in 2007. You've, you know, you've, had your share of worldly problems that you've that have impacted higher ed you know there was the recession in 2008 2009 there's the pandemic you know so as a leader how did you go about making sure that Nakata made it through um these things I think the biggest I think the biggest thing that that we did was collaborate and and work closely with our members with our leaders with the board of directors um I hope I did a good job of recognizing that we in the executive office are the implementer, implementers of activities, but it's the board and the leaders who decide which pathway they want to go on. Yeah. My role and, and Melinda's role, quite frankly, is, is bridging those two pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that the board may want to see happen that you just have to say, I would love to do that, but we need 12 more staff to get that done. And then they go, oh, well, maybe you don't need to do that right now. You know, so there's a balancing act within yeah. that. I think connecting with campuses was a big piece because the more we know what campuses are going through, the better Nakata can respond to their needs. You know, we can plan lots of things, but if we're we're not really aware of what's happening on the campuses, then we're not meeting those needs. So I think it's just getting out to colleges. Um, I said to Melinda when we had dinner last week, I said, are you as tired as you ought to be? She said, I am. Um, Because, you know, you can't just sit in the EO. 
Um, she's got to get out, as I did, and not only go to, to our region conferences or our sub-institutes or our annual conference, but just go to campuses and meet chancellors and provosts and advising directors and advisors and, and hear what's going on and, and get in those pieces. So that connecting, I think, is so important. Um, I think prior to 2000, the Carter was a different type of association, had a different structure. Um, but it really wasn't, I think, in meeting the college's needs, working with colleges, seeing what folks wanted. And I think we've made that shift. And I think that's what's going to help us move through the future. Um, you know, as we would, you and I were talking before we started, you know, I think everybody's seeing a, this university is going deep into its wait list because they don't have that many students. Well, that means this university now, are going to, their students are going to go there. Well, then they're going to go to their wait list or so the community college. I mean, I think we're going to see those things happen, which means how can Akata, in the example you just gave a few minutes ago, how can Akata help the institution that might be one taking some of your students yeah. to connect with you, to connect with the community college? How can we help build those bridges? You know, often bridges aren't built by folks who are at the school, they're outside the school. Mm -hmm. So if we can help connect you with folks at UCR, with the community college down the street in ways that are different than what you might could have done on your campus, then that's what we need to be doing and looking at. And so I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I've said before to you when I've done this, and I'll say it again, um, I think if higher education ignores everything we did during the pandemic, because we did some great, exciting things during the pandemic to meet student needs, well, now we've gone back to in-person and students are saying, whoa, 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 we were doing when I couldn't come. Why can't I do that? So if we, if we forget all we've learned and we don't bring that forward, then we're really going to be in trouble. And so I'm hoping colleges are really looking at how do we take what we did so well in the pandemic? How do we put that in place with being back on campuses live? And then how do we help bring those two those things together? And advising is going to be key to that. As you know, you're, you're, you're the you're the head on with the students every day on the campus. Um, your president is it. I love your president. Your provost is it. I love your provost. But you're the ones who see the students every day. And so advisors have to be involved in those conversations. They have to be involved in those discussions. And I think Nakata can help bridge some of those gaps in so many ways. Well, I think that's a good segue in the sense, you know, we're talking about how important advising is, how it's more important now than ever, and how you have advisors on the front lines, we're on the ground, we're meeting with the students, we have that connection with the students. But over these last couple of years, especially the pandemic amplified it, we have many people leaving their jobs, yes. you know, especially within teaching, within higher ed, within advising. So that means advisors, advisor professionals are taking off. And I've mentioned a couple episodes that, you know, there are people that even at this institution that I thought would be here until they retired. You know, they cared so much about the students and being in advising that it got to a point where they just said, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, and now we're in this, you know, great resignation as it's called, you know, so what are your thoughts on that and what institutions can do to help? See, I'm, job looking, I'm job looking, Matt, you got a job. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I think um, 
I think there are two things. I think, number one, we need to carefully, in this time, relook or reevaluate what a job description is for an advisor and be sure that that's clear before we start searching for new advisors. I'm not sure every institution has done that. I think there may be some places that are using the same job description that was used for advisor 10 years ago. Well, it probably was very valid 10 years ago, but look what we've gone through the past 10 years. So let's spend some time being sure our job descriptions are right, that they're on target. Um, I think the other piece is it's going to be really important that hopefully institutions will turn to Nakata, but training and development for new advisors is essential right now because you're right. We're going to see, I predict over the next five years, we're going to see a total influx of new professionals to the field who, if we let them, could be just registration people and never see advising as a profession. We want to hit them. I don't mean hit them, but maybe hit them. We we want to touch them quickly to say welcome to the profession. Welcome to what we do as an advisor. Welcome to the community of, of scholars across the world and how you can learn from them. Because I don't think we did that well 20 years ago. Um, now's the time we need to do it because if we let folks come in and fall into that registration mode and not advising mode, we, we're going to have real trouble. And so I think this is the time to really relook really at our professional development, to think more carefully about how we um, orient a new advisor. You know, you were just talking about y'all just gone through, I think, your sixth orientation, and yeah. now you're going to do transfer orientation in July. Um what are we doing to orient new advisors? Mm-hmm. And then how do we think through just what you're saying, Matt? You're going to have advisors who are brand new to the field, but you're going to also get advisors who may have been at another college in California or another college in England or another college in, in Kansas. And so they're coming in understanding advising, but they don't understand your campus. So what type of transfer orientation can we almost do for those mm-hmm. advisors? Um if we, oh, I don't care. I'm not employed anymore. If we leave that to HR to do, then advisors not building that community. Obviously, yes, it's got to be endorsed by human resources. They've got to be a part of that process, but they should be planning that. Right. Advisors should be planning that. So how do we partner with HR? Mm-hmm. How do we partner with human resources um, to say, you know, we've got this new group of folks coming in. Here are the things we want to, them to go through. How do we be sure that happens as they come into the campus? Um, so I, I think it's um, this is, I think it is it is an exciting time. Mm-hmm. I think we will see such new blood in the field. We'll see so many new people that are going to make huge sacrifices for students and do great work. But if we don't carefully bring them into the community, connect them with Nakata, connect them with each other, you know. Um, mm-hmm. In California, connected with the other California state advisors, or if you're in the UC system, connecting you, or hopefully have you connect all of those together and bring you. You know, one of the um, that I have had had lots of wonderful experiences in my um, twenty something years with with uh, EO. I've had lots of wonderful experiences, but one of the things that I'm, I can look back on that I really have been so. I was so enjoyed to be a part of was the formation of the advising 
um, association in California, right. you know, that, that mm-hmm. brought together CSU and UC and community colleges that had never happened before. Yeah. Um, and I was excited to be the very first keynote at that conference and yeah. to be part of that because I'll just use California as an example. You got three distinctly different systems as well as all the, the private schools who never yeah. communicated. And your association that y'all helped create is doing great work. Um, and, and so it's things like that that I think we could do better in the future. And I know Nakata can be a part of that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Yeah, my hope is that, you know, that that same thing, too, that we're able to still work across those different institutions and see, okay, what's one institution doing? Can we adopt that at at our institution? Um, I think for a lot of schools, a lot of people I've talked to um, that they feel more siloed than ever. Um, And a lot of that's just because the work has just kept piling up. You have people leaving. Now they got to take on more more roles. Now we're going there's never, there never seems to be a break or a, yes. a, a certain downtime where it's like, okay, now I can work on a project or I can go and see what this institution is doing or what's Nakata up to and how can we work together? It's like, oh, I got to get from job A responsibility. Now I got to get job B done and then job C and then, oh, and then help out with this. And now it's orientation. And once orientation's done in summer, oh, now we got fall semester coming up. And, and unfortunately, when that happens, sometimes was so busy doing that that a student walks the door and you think, what do you want? You know, it's like, oh, excuse me, that's why you're here. <laughs> and so you know, how, how do we keep that from happening? Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think you're right. I, you know, you've just finished six or seven orientations. You're going to transfer orientation. You've got about a week that you can breathe. But in that week time, you've got all of these other projects you need to do. Yeah. So, how can Nakata find ways to become ingrained in what you do so you don't have to go to something to connect with someone? You don't have to go to a webcast. You don't have to. All of those things are great. But how do we become ingrained in your life, Matt? I'm looking at you, but every advisor, so that you, you understand we're always here to support you mm-hmm. and move forward. And I think Nakata's done great work in the past. And I know it will continue to do good, great work with that. Yeah. And you know, you were talking about like new advisors coming on board and making sure that we're training them, we're onboarding them. But let's talk about maybe seasoned advisors, those that have been around, you know, five or more years. And you know, maybe they're going through the motions at this point. You know, they don't maybe they don't want to necessarily leave advising or higher ed, but they just want to get rejuvenated. You know, well, any I, advice to them? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things you've said is 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 really important is on many campuses. If you want to progress or get more money, you've got to become a director. I don't want to be a director. I love advising students, but that means I'm just going to be stuck here. And that's even though that's not what it is, that's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And so I think how can Nakata develop things that are for those seasoned advisors? 
for those folks who just need that rejuvenation or to keep those folks from becoming stale by connecting with them. And then recognizing that, you know, there's probably some things that an advisor who's been advising 10 years needs to have that if they go to a conference, they think that's, oh, everything's for new people. How do we put those together? Um, I know, Matt, you're, you're hosting the Portland conference. And I'm sure as y'all looked at those, how many thousand abstracts that came in for, for those, I'm sure y'all looked at that and said, this is fantastic for a new person, but what do we do for folks who've been advising for 20 years? Mm-hmm. But begin to really put that into motion and think right. of those. And so I, I think you're right. I, I, I know I know we've start, we started some wonderful projects on that before I left. I know Melinda will move that even further. But if we don't forget those, that's going to be a problem. Because if we only work with brand new or with directors, who's working in between? So how do we do that? You know, when I first started, there was no such thing as the Administrators Institute. There was no such thing as the Assessment Institute. You know, our very first Administrators Institute was in San Antonio in 2003, I think, maybe, or four. Um, I don't remember exactly what of those years before you were born, Matt, <laughs> um, within that. But um, it was the first time that we did a, a three-day meeting just for administrators. We had 500 people register because it was people were begging for things for administrators. Uh-huh. You know, now we have a, a 20-year-old Administrators Institute that's that's meeting new needs and doing great work. Um, we need to be sure we do the same type of th- things for those folks who are seasoned advisors, but don't want to be a director, but they want to keep they want to keep being energized. Yeah. Um, and how do we do that? And how can Nakata be a part of that, I think, is going to be the key piece. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Portland, and that's definitely something that our uh, proposal and pre-conference and poster chairs were looking at was, can we make sure we have something for everyone? And yes. it's like, yeah, you have a lot of, you know, proposals that are submitted for, you know, hey, this would be great for a new advisor, someone that's been in the in the field, like, you know, just starting up until like two, three years. But what about people after that? You know, what right. about those that have been there after three years? And then what um, are we doing for directors? Or how do we, you know, how do we, yeah. you know, I don't know one of the things y'all looked at, Matt, because everyone does is we have a lot of folks who are now provost and chancellors. They've got, they've come from advising, but they don't come back to Nakata because they don't see us as their primary association anymore. How do we bring them back? Because if a provost can be at a conference and talk, you know, I think, I don't know, well, 45 years ago, probably, whatever, what conference is this? The 40th conference, the 43rd? You probably know what the number is. I don't. <laughs> um, um, but long ago, Nakata made the decision that nothing would ever say doctor. Mm-hmm. And everything would be the first name and the small name. So I can remember many years ago, many years ago, sitting at a table talking to this woman and just having a great conversation. She was asking what I did and she did and just da 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 da. I was brand new, and and I said, "Well, Virginia, what else do you do?" And it was Virginia Gordon, mm-hmm. and I had no idea who Virginia Gordon was. <laughs> and if I had known who she was, I would never have talked to her <laughs> because I'd have been too petrified. And so I think that's something else we have to continue is that close connection, that that ability to do that at, at annual conferences, at regional conferences, at institutes that provide a new advisor a chance to learn from a provost, mm-hmm. 
but also a chance to get a provost to go back and think about it, what at midnight when he was he or she was first starting as an advisor. And so how do we merge those together? And I think Nakata, I mean, you know me, Matt. I think Nakata could do everything. <laughs> Nakata could do some great things to make those things happen. Yeah. Yeah, and just like you're talking about, institutions need to be hopefully changing things up for the future. I mean, that's also kind of like Nakata as well with with conferences. You know, it can't always be the, the same thing. So, like, just one change in terms of making sure we have sessions that anyone can attend or, you know, people aren't just going to attend the conference and then fill out the survey saying, like, there was no sessions for me. So yeah. I do want to, you know, definitely shout out, like, um, Clay Schwinn and Patrick Fernandez, our pre-conference co-chairs, uh, Stanley Choi and Carrie Kincannon, our concurrent uh, session co-chairs. You have and, an amazing yeah, team and, with you. I tell you what. Yeah, and Maria Domingo, our poster session chair, who definitely looked at all of that. So hopefully those that are attending uh, in October, you will definitely have plenty of sessions that you can go to that will be directly connected to, to what you do or what you may want to do. And you know, Matt, I think one of the things that, you know, this is my opportunity to say whatever I want to say, I guess. Right. Matt. Um, you know, one of the things I hope members will recognize is she, even Nakata can't make changes overnight. Mm-hmm. So Portland's in October, mm-hmm. November, they're starting on next year's conference. Yeah. So there may be some ideas that come up in Portland that it might be three years before they can be implemented. But I just hope members will know we're never going to forget what you said. It may take us a while to get there. Um, you know, obviously, Fair already has contracts signed for it. And I don't know, is it Orlando next year? Yep. Okay. Yep. So she, I know, let me back up. I know she has contracts on yeah. it because <laughs> we did that before I left. Um, so there may not be things that can happen in Orlando, but in three years, that change could come about. Yeah. So I hope members will just recognize that we can't change it overnight but we will never forget the ideas that came forward. We will always try to move where we need to move. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, and then also for anyone listening, don't assume that someone else has already made a request. Ask about it, you know, put put that nudge in, you know, hey, your suggestion on, on something that could be different and be for the better, you know, so... Don't forget, Absolutely. like everyone, everyone has a voice. Well, I think, and I'll just say publicly, Matt, that when you began these these podcasts, you know, you kind of started small to look where you are. And I hope what what your folks who are listening to the podcast will do is say, oh, okay, I remember Kevin Thomas. If I see him, I'm going to say, because you know, they've seen these people, a whole lot of folks who they maybe would never have met right. if it were not for the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um but they know now, oh, I, I could go talk to him if I see him in the hall. Yeah. And so I encourage people to, you know, come, go back before Orlando, I mean, before Portland and just relook at all the adventures in advising um, 
programs that happen and then go see if you can find those people while you're in Portland and, yeah. and, and get an, get an autograph from those, Absolutely. From those guests. Absolutely. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're mentioning Portland. We're talking about Portland. Uh, you mentioned Farah and Dana um, and Farah Turner and Dana McNary. They're both actually on this podcast episode as well. Uh, tell me about them. Oh my God. Um, I, I don't know what I can say other than they were two of the most amazing people I've ever worked with. Um, you know, Dana is, came to us as a student. And so she's been with us our entire undergraduate experience. And then we didn't let her go and we, we kept her. Then she got married and moved to somewhere else. We said, that's okay. You're not leaving us. And then she had babies, and, but we, we kept her. Um, she's amazing. She's so wonderful to work with. Our fair came in, um, 2006, maybe, I think as um, our former executive director, Bobby Flaherty's assistant. Um, when I came into the role a couple of years later, um, I looked at her and said, okay, what do you want to do differently? Because I knew how good she was that we were going to lose her if I could offer her some new opportunities. So she said, well, I'd like to get involved. So we made that happen. Um, and then when, when Rhonda Baker decided that she wanted to move on and do some other things, Farrah was there to take over the, the annual conference. Um, they're the hardest working women I've ever seen in my entire life. They're the most dedicated to Nakata. They're the most dedicated to every single conference chair. Um, you know, uh, people say, well, you know, they just like Matt this year. No, Matt, you'll be their buddy forever because they, they don't ever lose you um, within that. Um, but they're always saying, what, what can we do different next year? What, what can we do that'll be new and exciting next year? They they are never, I used to say to them, that was the most, what, but next year we could do, and I'd say, okay, ladies, do me a favor. Take one day to congratulate yourself. Just take this <laughs> one day to be proud of yourself because they were always looking at the future within it. Um, I don't remember the date, and, and I'll just put this out there that you might want to find out. Sometime in October, it's both of their birthdays. And at one of the annual conferences, we were there on their birthday. Um, and so we were able to sing happy birthday to them for the general session. And they both about killed me. Um, but um, I don't know whether it, I don't know whether it's around the Portland conference or not. But um, they, they both are they're just uh, I can't stand up good about them. Um, you know, well, even if uh, even if it's not on their birthday, it's still in October, so it'll still be their birthday month. So, absolutely, uh, and, give and, you some know, ideas here. And you know, we we were we were so fortunate. You know, the mm -hmm. the way the executive office was created, Matt, it got created at Kansas State because the continuing ed did annual conferences. So Nancy Barnes, who was the initial. Uh, coordinator of the annual conference. She had done it as a continued ed person before Nakata ever existed in the EO. Um, so we've had folks learn from each other, gain from each other. And I know Fair and Dana work so closely with the executive office and each single person. Um, it, it's just a great partnership. And I'm, I'm so proud of them and all they do. I just, I can't say enough about the amazing work the two, the two ladies do. They really are amazing. Yeah. And they can move anywhere in the world and and uh, Melinda just better put them so they can move, but they're still working for us. Because, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter where they live. They're always doing a great job for us. And we, and I love them to death. I really do. I love oh, yeah. them both. 
I mean, they have been phenomenal over this last year, just getting to work with them. And, you know, they've made the job so much easier for me as a conference co-chair. And oh, yeah. they put they've put so much work in and so much was already done before I even started in the conference co-chair well, role. So if you remember that a year ago, I called you yeah. and your co-chair and I promised you that. Fair Daddy will make it an easy process. You will have. You are right. <laughs> they do all the hard work, and I hope you see that to be the case. That they yep. do all the evil stuff, all the behind the scenes stuff, and you just were able to have fun with it, which is what oh, yeah. we want to happen. Yeah, I do remember when you called, and uh, I know I was super nervous, and it was one of those. Now, is Charlie saying this to me to make you say yes, or is it true? <laughs> and you and you had said, why don't you set up a meeting with Farrah and Dana? And you could actually ask them, you know, then they can tell you. And I did. And they they told me exactly what, what you had said. And I'm like, okay, let, let, let's still try it out. And then, yeah, from the first moment, first time we had an actual uh, planning committee meeting, and how much was already done and it was so structured and you know we had the timeline from Farrah and Dana. I was like, yeah, Charlie was absolutely 100 percent right. And you know, it it um I guess it kind of changes your life a little bit back. The very the first thing I think I remember most is chairing the 2000 conference in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I mean I had been involved with the Cotta for many years prior to that. I'd been a reason chair and all of that, but it kind of changed my Dakota life because mm-hmm. I saw the big picture. And yeah. then it didn't matter that even though that conference was over, y'all was, they were stuck with me. You know, <laughs> I, I was lucky a job came off the executive office. I might have just moved to Kansas without a job. Um, <laughs> but it's just a real, it it just kind of changes your life about how you think about things. And I, I hope you and Leah see that happen to the two of you as you've done this, because you're both amazing. But I know that hopefully you're even more amazing now after working with Dana and Farrah. Oh, it's, it's been a blast. And, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed to have that opportunity to work with Farrah and Dana and actually get to, you know, actually got to meet them in person. Uh, well, uh, I met Farrah in person in Cincinnati. Uh, I know I knew Dana's name, but I didn't know what Dana, what Dana looked like. And so I felt bad because, you know, now that I were on all these Zoom meetings, I was like, oh, my gosh, you were I, I saw you in, in, in like the green room. And, but you but, didn't know who she was because right. that's the thing that I've always been impressed with yeah. is you go in the green room, which you which is really the Dakota headquarters right. for the annual conference. And fair data don't look any different than anyone else. Everybody's working. Everybody's put together. You don't see two people in charge. You know, you don't see two people ordering folks around and telling you they're all working as a team. And so what I've been so proud about with the Dakota executive office is no one orders anybody around, including me and Melinda. (laughs) We all work as a team and build together. And the annual conference is a perfect example. You go into that workroom or the green room, whatever it might be, at whatever conference, and you don't know who Farrah is or Dana is or or, I mean, you may know their names, but not because they're in charge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this such an exciting conference every year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as we wind down uh, with this episode and this interview, um, I just want to you know, give the floor to you. You know, is there anything else that you want to tell the global advising community? Um, thank you. I think that's my biggest thing is just thank you. It has been a wonderful experience. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Um, I know Melinda will will do great things. I'm behind her 100%. Um, if she needs anything, I'm here. 
But if she doesn't, I'm still going to be standing there applauding everything that gets done. So I just want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you to all the people that I've visited your campuses. I've seen you at conferences. I've had you in summer institute groups or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's been a great way to end my career. You know, I, um, I you know, I'm, I'm one of those Facebook people. I've, I've audited a lot. I, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of folks that I taught in high school in 1977. And as I think back, that was some of my most favorite teaching, which when I was brand new, you know, I was 20 years old uh, because I gone straight through college. Those students thought I was probably a hundred because I looked at, um, because I made sure to have a tie and a hold up. And they all said, wait a minute, you're just three years old. And I said, yep, that's right. So, so that's great. But now I love that I'm ending my career with Nakata um, because it's such a, it's been a wonderful, wonderful 20 years. I want to thank the executive office staff. I want to thank every person in that executive office. Um, each of them do amazing work and they do it together. Uh, Maxine Coffee, thank you to Maxine. Um, you know, Maxine's quiet, Maxine's behind the scenes, but I tell you, um, couldn't have done that job and neither could Melinda without Maxine. And I really want to thank her. And then I just want to publicly, and I hope people will spread the word if they hear this and, and if they're on the Kansas State campus, they'll, they'll make sure she hears it. But thank you to Dr. Debbie Mercer. Um, her support of me, her support of Melinda, but her support of Dakota has been phenomenal. My colon was a great dean to work for, uh, but he kind of got Nakata there. Debbie inherited it <laughs> when she came in, but um, she's been so wonderful. So I really want to publicly thank Debbie Bosa for all she did for me and all she's done for Nakata. And then, Matt, I want to thank you. You know, I I, I still remember that conference in, in wherever we were, Belgium, somewhere, where <laughs> I, I said, wait a minute, that column, and I just put you two together in a in a reception that night, and look at where we are today. Um, and so I want to thank you, and I want to thank Colin, because you believed what I said. You know, you believed I'll support you. You know, when you said, when I said to you, tell me what you need to make it happen, I found the money and got you what you needed, but y'all trusted me, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate it, because it would have been real easy to have a couple of beers that that reception had gone away and never came back together. But the two of you made a pact. I mean, we all walk out to me and say, we promise you we're going to put something together. And I just thank you so much because you've added to the profession. You've added to uh, the Carter, but you've also brought folks together in ways we had never done before, Matt. And so just thank you and call them so much for what y'all have done because I'm so proud of y'all. Yeah, I just want to thank you too. I mean, a huge thank you. I mean, you know, you've been such an advocate for higher ed and academic advising for many, many years, and you're still going to continue to be that advocate even after retirement. And I'm blessed to call you friend. You know, Chris Linfelt would always talk about one Charlie Nut, you know, and, and getting to briefly I chat tell you with what, you. I love that man. Yeah, absolutely. I miss him every day. And, you know, getting to briefly chat with you at the Vegas conference in 2015. And then when you've spoken at our campus, when Chris brought you on uh, to speak to our advisors and faculty at Cal State San Bernardino, being our keynote for the first two uh, California Collaborative Conferences, you know, supporting the podcast, supporting any decision that, that, that I, I've wanted to do and supporting that. And even nudging me in, in areas that maybe I didn't even think about. And I'm so glad that you did. 
Um, and it, it's truly been a blessing. So, you know, I'm always in awe of your ability to connect people together and be inspiring to so many. So, you know, a huge thank you to you as well. Thank you so much, Matt. I love you. Y'all, please keep in touch. Thank you, Charlie. You have been an amazing friend and mentor, even though you are retired. I just know you will continue to have an impact on many of us and the advising profession. And now let's get to the next interview, which is a joint interview with two hardworking and overall amazing people, Farrah Turner and Dana McNary. All right, so let's welcome our guests at this time, and that is Farrah Turner and Dana McNary. Farrah Turner is the Assistant Director of the Nakata Annual Conference. She has been with Nakata for 15 and a half years and has worked with leadership, the Global Awards Program, and the Annual Conference. In her current role, Farrah works closely with Dana McNary, Executive Office colleagues, the Conference Committee, and many volunteers to carry out the conference each year. She has enjoyed the opportunity to consistently meet and work with so many Nakata members throughout the years. One of the things Farrah enjoys most about planning the annual conference is that every year brings about a renewed energy in a different city as each planning committee helps to create a great experience and professional development opportunity for participants. Farrah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And let's also welcome Dana McNary, who is the event coordinator for the Nakata Annual Conference. She began working for Nakata as a student assistant in 2012 and then transitioned into a full-time position after graduating from Kansas State University in December of 2015. She has worked with the Institute's region conferences and annual conference. Currently, Dana works with Farah, and like Farah, works closely with colleagues in the Nakata Executive Office, conference committee members, and various volunteers to coordinate the conference each year. It is a true joy for Dana helping plan the annual conference from beginning to end each year in a new location and with new committee members each year. It is very rewarding to see all the hard work from the conference planning committee, volunteers, and executive office staff come to a successful completion each fall. Dana. Also, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah. And, you know, I was chatting with uh, Farah a little bit before you joined, before we started recording. And I was telling Farah how back in Cincinnati uh, is where I first met Farah in person. And I was telling Farah, I was like, I don't think I actually met you, Dana, like officially in person. But I remember seeing you there, but I didn't know that was you. Uh, because over the last couple of years, if I've had questions about the conference or presentations as a presenter, like I've emailed you, but never got to know you or see you or, Dan- or you or Farah in person. So um, it's great to be working on the Portland Commerce Committee with you. Um, and I think this also leads into why we have you both on this podcast today. And that's because, well, we we know the names Farah and Dana, but now we actually get to know you a little bit better uh, on a more personal level. So maybe we start there uh, to tell us more about yourself and, you know, how you got involved in Nakata. So uh, let's say, Dana, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, So I was born and raised in a small town in western Kansas. Um, I attended Kansas State University and graduated with a bachelor's in human nutrition. Um, My sophomore year is when I started at Nakata as a student assistant And then I just never left. It's been a joy working there um, ever since then. And it was a great learning experience um, and just kept me busy uh, while going to school. Um, I have a wonderful husband. He is a chiropractor here in Kansas. And then I have three kiddos. uh, One's four, one's two and a half, and one is one. 
um, and they keep me extremely busy. Um, but it's been a lot of fun having those three um, around. And then we also have two dogs at our house too. So we just have a full loving household. Um, and we just love spending a lot of time outdoors and as a family. Yeah, a lot of family members with kids and dogs, because dogs are definitely part of the family. For and sure. Farrah, yeah, and Farrah, how about you? Um, well, I am a native of Texas, where I attended Baylor University. Um, so I have a bachelor's in business, uh, marketing and management. And then I worked a while in business, and then I went on to get my MBA in human resource management. Um, I have an amazing husband um, who is an officer in the military, two kiddos, a son who is 14, a daughter who's 10, will be 11 in a couple of weeks. And um, so about 16 years ago, my husband's military career took us to Can Kansas, and that is when I started my career at Nakata. Um, I just really enjoyed the opportunity to work with such a great organization, our great executive office staff and meet so many new people along the way. Um, our kiddos, their activities, and my husband's work obviously keep us busy as well. Um, we enjoy going to their sporting events and being outside. And so, yeah, we just, um, they keep us busy, as Dana said. Yeah, and I feel like I've now learned a lot about you just with that one question, and we've been working together since last year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm glad, again, to have you both on. And you were talking about Nakata, Farah, and I think that's a great lead-in uh, because Nakata is such a large, diverse organization. There's so many groups, committees, communities. There's an executive office. There's regions. Nakata's global. So it can sometimes be overwhelming, especially to someone who's just being exposed to Nakata. So I guess, generally speaking, like, Farah, how would you describe Nakata and the executive office to, like, a new advising professionals? Certainly, Matt. Um, well, I'd say that NACADA is a, a global association providing professional opportunities and resources in the field of academic advising to members across the world. So I'd lead in with that. That's amazing, right? Um, but with that being said, the association still has a small feeling like of a close-knit organization. So um, it's just a group of individuals who are passionate about um, academic advising and ultimately student success. I like to say Nakata, and, and I've heard this since I started, it's a grassroots organization. So our strength lies in the commitment of our members, the volunteers and our executive office staff. I so And they laugh about this when we're leading up to conference. I always say that our executive staff is small, but we're mighty. Um, most associations the size of Nakata have generally larger uh, executive office staffs to handle their um, projects. And so otherwise they might outsource those functions, but we typically, along with our membership um, and our volunteers, are able to just pull together to make so much happen. And that's just all a testament to the dedication of our staff coupled with um, the dedication of our membership. And so with that being said, it's just Nakata is just a great organization that continues to evolve and advance the field of advising and advance our reach across the world. Yeah, perfectly said. I, I probably wouldn't be able to say it like that. So great way to describe it. Dana, anything to add to that? Uh, the only thing I think I would add, um, since my time with Nakata, it's always been very welcoming and yet professional, whether a new advisor, clear to senior level administrator. Um, there's just 
endless benefits to both members and even non-members um, that are maybe looking to get involved in the organization. And then the Nakata executive staff, um, they're just always willing to help out where needed. And I hope our members know they can reach us whenever, uh, wherever, and we, we would be more than happy to assist. I think just overall, everyone wants the best for each other. And like I said, we're just willing to help out. Um, and I just feel like this uh, organization is just a great support system. Yeah. And you mentioned if you know there's any questions, reach out. And I personally can say that anytime I've had a question, especially um, as an attendee for a conference, presenter for a conference, um, I just emailed the email address that was on there for the annual conference. And we get an email back right away from either of you. Um, and it was super quick and always had the answers. So I always felt like I was listened to and, and got communication clarification on a lot of things. So very true. If any questions, contact you. And um, I guess, you know, you know, you were talking about Nakata. So both of you work for Nakata. Let's talk about like your individual roles and what that actually entails. So um, maybe Dana, let's start with you. Yeah. So my main role is to oversee the call for proposal process you know, from an opening mid-December, closing mid-February. And then um, the planning committee does all the um, selection, but Farah and I help assist with any needs that they might have during that time. And then notifying presenters of their status and then scheduling. And then of course, over the summer, just trying to um, prep presenters for any information they might need, let them know of deadlines. Um, so that keeps me busy pretty much throughout the year. And then on top of that, I also help build out the conference app that we use. Um, we switched to a new one a couple years ago, and I think so far it's been a really good switch. Um, so we're excited to keep improving that each year. Uh, and then I also manage the on-site registration and support both FARA and then, of course, the conference planning committee with any new initiatives or projects that um, come along each year. Yeah. And Farah, how about you? What does your role entail? Um, well, I generally work planning and execution. So Dana and I work very closely together, but my role primarily involves working with the conference venues and the hotels. And so that's typically planning the event details. So the space use, um, the various events that happen during the conference and just the inner workings. We handle the smallest details of what a large scale event would be. And, you know, typically hosting over 3,000 participants. So for me, I manage the space use, um, scheduling sessions along with Dana. Um, I work with many, many third-party services to kind of carry out what needs to happen during the conference, whether that's an audiovisual company, the caterer, um, prop companies, just, you know, a lot of those details that are the behind the scenes things. And then, you know, all of that just comes together to hopefully make your conference experience a great one. And then Dana and I also work closely together with our executive office team, with our planning committees, as you know, Matt, um, just to ensure that the event meets the strategic needs of the association. And so with that being said, you know, we work closely just on many projects leading up to the conference. Um, the conference committee worked so hard planning what we hope to be a fun, week-long professional development engagement opportunity. And I just, I, you know, I like to say it just truly takes a village to do something of this size with the number of people that we have, you know. So just a huge thank you to, you know, Dana and I thank our executive 
um, our team and the executive office staff, our colleagues, our the planning committee, and just the many, many volunteers, presenters, exhibitors, sponsors, the list goes on and on. And so um, all of that just is what happens. And again, just made Nakata the grassroots organization that we're known to be. Yeah. And, and like with both your answers, you know, you're, you're, a lot of times you're using we, like <laughs> we're working together. You know, we have, we have the planning committees and the, and the other executive office staff, but I think that's also just how humble both of you are, <laughs> you know, that th this is the work that, you, I mean, you are the, both are the heart and soul of the conference in a sense, and, you know, really have the foundation of planning everything, you know, and, and yes, you, there's a planning committee, there's, you know, conference co-chairs, there's executive office, there's many other people that are involved, but you two are the ones that are taking everything and it's like a puzzle pieces and, you know, you're making sure everything goes where and fits where it needs to and you make it happen. So there's a lot of thanks I go to both of you for all of this as well. Um, and so it's nice also to kind of know both your roles and what that entails, because as an attendee, like we register for a conference, we attend the conference and everything's already kind of set up and done, but there's so much behind the scenes that has to get done leading up to it. And it's not like a, a one month thing. Like this is like a full year, if not more to plan out these conferences. And already when I look at the website, there's already next year and the year after that, and the year after that, that's already has locations planned. So as much as, you know, we might be thinking like, oh, we have Portland in October. Both of you are already thinking about the next two, three, who knows, maybe even four or five years out. So a lot of work that goes into this. And so going on to the next question, you know, a lot has changed uh, with the pandemic. Um, you know, it's not the same as, as it used to be. And Cincinnati, which was the last year's conference, that was kind of like the first annual conference back in person uh, and also had like the virtual component with it. So I guess, Dana, if you want to start, maybe Farah afterwards, uh, how have conferences changed since during the pandemic and after going back uh, in person? Yeah, um, you know, to me, one major change is just the way we think about offering the content that we have and then also the format in which it's delivered, whether that be, you know, in 2020, everything was virtual. Um, and we tried to do a few different formats there. Um, so kind of incorporating those different um, delivery formats into the in-person conference, and then um, also offer that content to those that maybe aren't able to attend in person. So it has been a challenge, but also very rewarding, knowing that we're reaching more members um, with this content that presenters have submitted. I mean, it is amazing content, and it's so good to be able to reach so many more people than we maybe have in the past. So I think that's been a very big benefit from the pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, Farah, anything to add? Um, yeah, you know, pretty much goes right along with what Dana said. You know, the pandemic taught us a lot of things and changed the way we do events. Um, and, you know, as Dana mentioned, in 2020, we transfer transitioned from planning the annual conference as an in-person event to a virtual event in just a matter of a few weeks. Um, and I just always thought that this was just a great testament to how nimble we are as an association from our staff to, you know, the committee. And, um, you know, just we looked at ways that we could provide 
a meaningful experience for the conference participants. And, um, you know, everyone stepped up to meet that challenge. And so, yeah, as Dana said, with the, the most obvious way is that we're providing more virtual content. We're able to meet our members where they are. Um, and while we still enjoy the opportunity to gather together in person, um, I just think it's wonderful as well that we can still provide opportunities for those that aren't able to join us in person. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a good segue into the next question. And let's chat about the upcoming conference. Uh, so Farah, you know, can you tell us about this upcoming annual conference in Portland? So yeah, um, we are excited to host this year's conference in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. So we've never hosted a conference in Portland before. So we're excited to come together in person um, there for this event. The planning committee has been working hard to um, get together a host of things for participants to be able to do, whether it's during the conference, options outside of the conference venue, in and around the city. And so we're just excited to be able to come together in person this year in Portland. Yeah, and then there'll be, a, if all works out, there'll be a, a, an an, an art exhibition or experience as well in Portland. So first time ever at, at a Nakata conference, which sounds really great. And yeah. Dana, can you tell us about like prices, deadlines, uh, what attendees can expect? Yeah. So the early member rate for the in-person event is 430 us dollars. Um, while the non-member rate is 600 us dollars, uh, the early conference pricing will end September 8th. And then at that point, registration rates will increase. So we highly encourage you to get registered by, by the September 8th deadline. Um, we also have the virtual ticket option, which does include a select number of virtual sessions. And that is going to be available at a reduced rate. And all of that information um, can be found on the conference registration page. And I highly encourage everyone to go check that out to, to look at all the differences. Um, you know, I think attendees, can expect the high quality content that they've come to know over the years. Um, there's going to be a wide variety of tracks and topics covered. And then for the in-person event, we will have the scholarly papers again this year, as well as some various opportunities to network, um, such as the advising communities fair, the region and global connection time, um, and the welcome reception, just to name a few. Uh, I think we're really looking forward to incorporate, incorporating all that Portland has to offer into the conference experience. And like Farah had mentioned, the, the planning committee is working super hard right now on offering so many things for our attendees. So really looking forward to seeing all that um, play out and come along in October. Yeah, and I know there's so many great proposals that were submitted. So I know it's hard choices of who to pick and, and whatnot. So definitely going to be great selection there. And the fact that both of you mentioned it's in Portland. So um, I can't think of it the last time it was on the West Coast. So it's a great opportunity for a lot of members to, you know, hey, come to the West Coast, go to Oregon and um, get that experience. Uh, and kind of going along with that, you know, you were talking about the different types of sessions. So Farah, you know, the pre-conferences are posted. Uh, what types of topics are offered and what are pre-conferences? Yeah, well, pre-conference workshops are typically a few hours long. Um, they're in-depth sessions that provide um, participants an opportunity to engage with the presenters and in, in them, in each other, excuse me, on topics that are significant to the field of advising. So the workshops have a lot of interaction 
and they just present an opportunity to do like a, a, a dig deep, deep dive into various topics. These presenters are very knowledgeable on the topics that are offered. So there's options for administ administrators. There's options for um, those that are new to the field. There's options on technology and, you know, just how to use new and upcoming um, ways to engage with your students. So there's a wide range of opportunities for the workshops and they're all out on the website. And so um, they're offered at an additional cost, but highly, highly recommend for those that can come in on Sunday to sign up for a workshop and you won't be disappointed. Yeah. And if anyone has already like registered for the conference, but then now they see the pre-conferences, they're able to just go back in on the Nakata website to add the pre-conferences? Yes, that is correct. It's an easy few steps, uh, clicks of a few buttons, and you're able to add those workshops. Sounds good. And then, uh, Dana, what are the differences, I guess, between someone who might be attending in person versus uh, doing the virtual ticket? Yeah, so in-person participation means that you have access to all of the happenings in Portland, Oregon. Um, this would be like the welcome reception, general session, keynote address, and then, of course, like Farah uh, mentioned, the various pre-conference workshops, concurrent sessions, um, health and wellness activities. And then, um, Matt, like you had mentioned, we will also have the art exhibition for the very first time this year um, with Nakata members displaying their own art pieces. Um, you'll have an opportunity for in-person interaction with our exhibitors and sponsors as well, which they are a huge part of our conference. And so we definitely want to give a big shout out to them and, and make sure you uh, attend them um, at the conference as well. And then if you're attending virtually, um, the virtual ticket will still offer access to the general session and keynote address. Uh, there will also be a number of select virtual sessions, some networking opportunities, and then the exhibitor content will be available as well. And then, of course, the on-demand content that's available 45 days post-conference. Um, definitely be able to be sure to check that out. Yeah, so a lot of different things, um, whether in person or virtually, a lot that attendees can get out of the conference. And as we wind down with this interview, at this time that this episode is posted, Charlie Nutt will be officially retired. I know he was in a phased retirement over the last year, but now will officially be retired from Nakata. Do you have any stories about Charlie or, you know, what does Charlie mean to you? So Farrah, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah. Um, love Charlie. Worked with Charlie for many, many years in a close capacity. And it was just always inspiring, inspiring to see him go out of his way to help or to mentor individuals. He, it was as if there were an endless number of hours in the day with Charlie. <laughs> you know, I, we asked if he ever slept. Um, so while I saw it firsthand, you know, how he wanted to help staff and members, we would always receive feedback of what a wonderful keynote speaker Charlie was um, and inspirational. And so I never firsthand got to hear him speak at one of his keynotes, just really due to the demands of conference and, you know, we're working the event. Um, but in Minneapolis in 2014, we were all able to go to his keynote speech. And so um, at the end of this of his speech, he sang a small snippet of a song, and I wrote this down, um, called Something Good. 
And it tied directly into his message. And it was just to remind us all that um, we all have something good to offer in whatever it is that we do in life. And for me, that was just such a memorable and inspirational message for myself and just for everyone there. You could tell from the applause from the crowd um, and just the feedback received. So that's an inspirational story. I have many funny ones as well, but um, yes, we'll definitely, um, we love and we'll miss Charlie. Oh, 100%. Dana, how about you? I think Farah said it best. We love Charlie. We will miss Charlie. Um, he was such a supportive and caring person and he really made a great executive director. I really valued his leadership. You know, he knew when to have fun, but he also knew when to be serious and, and get some business taken care of. And he always said, we need to value family first and then work. And to me, that was so important. And especially as, as I'm raising my three kiddos right now. Um, and so that just, he, he really meant it too. And so that to me was, was and is such a, a thing I value from Charlie. One thing I'll never forget about Charlie is, is what I call the Charlie intercom system. So if he ever needed you, he just stepped out of his office and he would just yell your name until you heard him. Um, and I know there was probably so many Zoom meetings. People are like, who is yelling in the background? But I'm pretty sure all executive office staff got the privilege to be called over his intercom. And it will be something I can hear forever, my name being yelled um, by Charlie. So just just funny. He He's a great guy. Um, and will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had never heard that story before. So I got to chat with him about that one. But yeah, people probably like on a Zoom meeting be like, are you in trouble? I hear your name being yelled at. Yeah, the first time it ever happened to me, I did think I was in trouble. And I remember walking down there like a little bit shaky, nervous. And it was just to tell me something that happened. Nothing serious. But it, yeah, it was Oh, it was always funny. He knew when he was in the office, not traveling for work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Imagine sitting outside of his door. <laughs> I did that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you got to hear it at a hundred percent volume. <laughs> right. You get used to it after a while, though. <laughs> Definitely. But Farah, Dana, I really appreciate you both being on the podcast. And I think listeners who have, again, um, heard your names, heard what great, uh, wonderful people you are, have seen, you know, communicated through email, now get to know a little bit better about you and then um, might see you at the Portland conference to be able to chat a little bit more. So thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us, Matt. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Farrah and Dana, thank you so much for being interviewed for the podcast. I know you both like to work behind the scenes and don't want any spotlight, but you both deserve a parade for all of your dedication to the annual conferences. And I look forward to seeing you both at the Portland Conference. Well, like we've done so many times before, we have reached the end of another episode of the Adventures and Advising podcast. I know for some of us, it's been a long summer so far with orientations. Hopefully, like me, you're almost done. We got this. So take care and join me next time for episode 64. Keep advising. Oh.